Welcome to the PRISM Education Center podcast. PRISM Education Center is a K-12 school committed to building principled leaders through sound values, solid culture, and strong community. PRISM Education Center is a Northgate school, and this is our podcast. Today we are going to be talking about internet safety and the steps that parents can take to keep their children safe online. To do this, we've got a couple of, of special guests. We've got Tyrell and Sarah Dennison and Caitlin Webster. You guys, why don't you introduce yourself? Let's start with Ty. Why don't you introduce yourself, Ty? Sure. Uh, Tyrell Dennison, and um, I'm the director of engineering for a software firm called Lofty in Fayetteville. And then I actually also, Sarah and I both work with um, the sixth through ninth graders at our, our church. All right. Sarah, you want to add to? Yeah, sure. I teach at the University of Arkansas, and I am a mother of three. All right. And how about you, Caitlin? I'm a teacher at Prism Education Center. I teach English language arts, and I am the advisor for our high school confluence class. Okay, great. So we want to just jump right in, and we are going to be talking about how to protect our children in their online and virtual activity. And to get us started, why, you know, when you think about protecting kids, the first thing you think about is there's a threat. So uh, what is the scary threat with the internet? Who would like to, to jump in on that? I think one thing to, to point out is we still don't quite understand what the internet actually fully is. Like it has unlimited potential for good, unlimited potential for bad, and that there's access with that that uh, that requires management. And everything about our lives these days requires or increasingly requires interaction with it. And we're still learning how to manage something that powerful. Right. Right. And Sarah, you have young kids, and I know just from previous conversations that you have a lot of safety features in place at your home and a lot of things you guys do to protect them. What, what is it that you're wanting to protect your kids from? When you put those safety features in place, what is it that you're wanting to make sure they don't engage in? And not, not specifically things that they don't engage in, but why do you have those features in place? Really just to protect them. Um, to protect their privacy, to protect them from what Tyrell was talking about, just the, the limitless everything out there. Because our children are still young mm-hmm. um, at 6, 9, and 10. Um, we, we feel like their maturity level is not at a capacity that they can just right. go on the internet and, you know, go here and there. We feel like it's really important to set yeah. really clear, really structured boundaries right now. And then as they mature and get older, you know, increase the boundaries for them, right. um, in a really structured way and to equip them to be able to operate in this space, um, where, you know, as they are exposed to any wide variety of information, whether it's the news or social media, that they can just function in a really capable way there. Good, good. And Caitlin, um, Sarah's kids are elementary kids, but you teach middle schoolers and high schoolers. So what do you see as, um, at that age level, what are some of the things that, that you see where that merit boundaries mm-hmm. on the internet? Yeah. So, I think there's a lot of potential for norms to be set um, for middle school and high school students as they look at social media, as they look at 
um, I think specifically Instagram, they're looking at pictures of, of what a normal social, normal in quotes, social life right. looks like. Um, and then they want to mirror that. Um, right. and, and that's setting the norm rather than looking at what is actually around them in their family um, and in their normal like school community. Right. There's a lot of, um, of looking to um, take pictures that portray yourself in a different way than maybe is the right. reality of your life. Right, right. So we see filters coming on that make girls' eyes bigger and that make, I mean, that make them look yeah. different. And that has some significant implications for their self-esteem and mm-hmm. for their um, concept of what beauty is and their concept of self-image. And, and, and I think w- what I see is with these middle schoolers and high schoolers, that's such an identity-forming time yes. that it's actually altering how kids form that identity. And instead of forming it in the real, in the here and now with Mm -hmm. the people that are actually in the room with me, and instead of being shaped by that, they have access now to so many um, different things telling them this is what you should be. And, And we see this not just for young girls, but there's all sorts of conversations on the internet about motherhood and how we're portraying motherhood on, on the internet and, and through our social media accounts, how we're portraying, you know, so you see that it's not like it's a thread that just stops with middle schoolers, but it's almost as if it starts there. Mm -hmm. And then unless it's managed and there's boundaries around it, then that capacity for unhealthy behavior and an unhealthy, um, and not, not genuine identity, Mm -hmm. uh, is actually, is actually still there. Um, so there's things we, we were talking about, I think every parent has their own set of concerns and actually just preparing for this, this podcast, we were talking about everyone's different, different concerns. And, um, I, I, as a school administrator have talked to parents over the years about, about this, and it usually becomes a real scary subject around fifth grade, fifth to eighth grade. I think that's where it really pops up as, whoa, there's this thing in my house that I don't really know how to manage and don't even really know how it got there. Um, there's there's things, there's obviously like uh, one of the students at our school was doing a search for a school project. He typed in a phrase for the school project that was not an inappropriate phrase. And uh, he, you know, was in the in the room with adults, and uh, and they had rules at their home for internet use, and pornographic images popped up, and it was, you know, something he had never thought about, didn't know existed, but it certainly piqued his image, and it was just in a, or it piqued his interest, and it was just in a very innocent way of accessing it. Ty, you were sharing earlier that. Um, there's a whole lot of stuff on the internet that little minds can't really filter through. Give us some examples of some of those things. Yeah, um, definitely. There's So there's obviously lots of stuff in regards to images, whether it be pornographic or very violent or things of that right. nature. Um, but just the, the general information that's available to someone via the internet um, kind of goes beyond the, those kinds of things. I think back to being in high school, probably maybe a sophomore in high school, uh, I, my friends and I got a copy, a digital copy of the Anarchist Cookbook. And that's, that's a, a digitally compiled book that has like bomb making instructions and how to, to like tap phones and all kinds of things like that. And, you know, it, some of it just, we just were juvenile young men. So we did dumb things like lit my friend's yard on fire with homemade napalm, which isn't great, No, but it's, you know, <laughs> but, but the, uh, but the potential there to hurt yourself or right. do something, especially right. if you have incorrect internal boundaries, you, right. you've now been equipped with this information. And so that's that's the thing that, that has to be considered beyond just 
putting in blockers for adult right. content per right. se, but just knowing that people are disseminating information right. on forums or right. other places, and sometimes that information is just not appropriate. Yeah. So there's there's the deliberate seeking out of information that might not be appropriate, and then there's accidental issues. And mm-hmm. you kind of want to, you know, like the example that I gave of the student who something just popped up on his screen, and you want both of these things away from your kids. So let's talk about some of the things in terms of, of external boundaries that we can we can use to help keep our keep our kids safe. Sarah, what are some of the things that you guys do in terms of external boundaries to to protect your kiddos? Yeah. Uh, one thing we do is we make sure that anytime they're using the computer, um, that they're in a communal space in our home. That's So a, yeah. like our, our, we have a space downstairs. It's kind of, you know, classic 2020 house open concept. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, you know, to our benefit, right. we can see everything. Yes. <laughs> so, um, the kids know that they ha- we have a we specifically have a kid laptop just one of our you know hand me downs yeah and we created uh, Ty went in and set some pretty intense um, limitations on the sign in account that I'm sure he could elaborate on if you want him to um, and so they have their own Apple account for for all three kids to use and um, they have to use that in a place where we are with them. Yeah. So they can't take the computer to their rooms. Right. Um, and there's definitely limitations on when they can use it, how long they can use it, what they can do on it. Yeah, that's great. And and it's there are tools out there like Apple has a, a, a program where you can put everyone on a family account and you have to approve every app that goes on. At our school, we use Bark and that's kind of a system that um, – alerts the school if kids are if kids are using uh, the internet inappropriately or if, if images are popping up on any of their school-based accounts but because we do use that parents can also sign up for an account at a you know a pretty cheap I can't remember the exact rate now but it's it's a pretty low rate where they can get alerts during um, on their on their iPhones or our computers and I kind of think that even just mentioning iPhones takes me to the next place I find it a little bit easier to manage screen time with your elementary kids. It's when your child gets their very own smartphone that it gets a little bit harder. And there's all these studies that are showing that kids just aren't sleeping like they used to because they go into their room, they use their phone for their alarm, and that gives them kind of the right to use that phone however they want. So the visibility of a parent is huge, and there's been a lot of research that shows just having an adult nearby will kind of keep some things at bay. But once they get that phone in their hand, um, these 13-year-olds or younger, eight, nine-year-olds are taking them to their their bedrooms and they're uh, texting on it and they're looking at images and they have the whole World Wide Web accessible to them. And there are some programs that you can use to monitor that. At least you can block certain content, um, you know, if it's within the range of the router at your house. Ty, do you know any of those off the top of your head? I, I don't know the names. Most modern routers um, come with parental right. um Right. Parental controls that let you whitelist or blacklist um, certain lists of, of websites. Uh, and you can, they'll have like some default ones that you can right. turn on. Apple does that as well. Um, but I, I would imagine, you know, in anybody that is curious about that, uh, most of the time routers these days come with your internet service. So you can definitely contact your internet service right. provider to say if the router they provided you allows for that. And if not, you can go pick one up 
at uh, at Best Buy or some Walmart yeah. or one of those that you know has decent parental controls in place. Right, and right. That'll, but that and that blocks it for the entire network. You don't limit it to a device per se. Some might allow that, but it's gonna it's gonna keep yeah. your whole network clean. Yeah, but I think that um, smartphones in general are that's a big. It's like this low hanging fruit. If we want to help our kids then we limit when they can get access to those smartphones and specifically to social media on, on smartphones. You can't, you, it is still pretty difficult to block the internet at large. Like you can block certain words, you can block websites that have certain words, but it's still pretty tough. But one big thing you could do is just not give that child a smartphone until they have demonstrated the maturity to be able to manage that and to be trustworthy with it. And we, with our kids, we, um, we do a thing that a lot of families at PRISM do called the, we participate in the wait till the eighth program and that, uh, you know, your kids don't have to have a smartphone. They don't have to have social media. And so we absolutely ban social media for a very long time. And we don't have, we don't have a certain age for that because we, we think it's really dependent on the child's maturity level. And when our girls were young, it was when um, f- social media was first coming out for teenagers. Used to you had to be 18 and then all of a sudden you could be 13. And we kind of ignorantly allowed them to to get on social media. And they were 13. I mean, they weren't they weren't like eight-year-olds. They were 13, but we allowed them. And we had to quickly backtrack that. It was like once that thing came out, it was really, really hard to, to govern. It was really hard to manage and really hard to ensure. There were We saw the gap in our conversations with our kids that even things like selfies or who you put in pictures with and, and the quantity of pictures you take of yourself, that has an impact. You're doing something inside of that. Um, kids would start to message them on Instagram. And so we had their email accounts uh, linked to ours so that we could see what was going on and who was messaging them. But all of a sudden, kids started messing them, messaging them privately. And you have no idea what's going on on that. So we had to put some parameters in place even after we felt comfortable with our kids having a, a phone that had, you know, smartphone capacity where we always, we know the code. They can never lock us out of it. We do routine checks on it. We do routine internet checks. We do routine, just scroll through and see who they're texting, who they're messaging, things like that. So our kids know at any given time, we're going to pop in there and, and check on their things. And those are, that sort of is like, even when we're not there, you know, we could be there and we're pretty smart and we know how to access um, their, you know, their searches and what they've been looking at on the internet. But that's not, even that is not fail-proof because they also know some things. And and as much as you can put a wall around your kid's internet activity, there's still a point where they have to themselves have internet in, internal boundaries. So we've talked a little bit about external boundaries, but I really want to talk about how do we put internal boundaries, give our kids the capacity to set their own boundaries. That's what I mean by by internal boundaries because to me that's where... That's what we really, when we're talking about something as big as the internet, that's where we really have to have some some strict boundaries. Um, so, Caitlin, Sarah, Ty, what what are some ways that you have seen or that you have um, thought about in terms of equipping your kids with the capacity to govern themselves? Where you know the internet is going to be, they can have a. a they could set up a double email system where you know their email system, you know their email, and it's linked to yours, but they also have this other one that you don't know about or a double Instagram account or they go to a friend's house and the friend is, uh, all the parents are asleep, everyone's having a slumber party and midnight turns the corner and 
you know, the friend introduces them to something that you would not want them to, to be a part of. So how do you equip your child in that scenario to not develop the fake email account that your parents don't know about and not engage in that activity and just say no when they're at the, and, and get away from that situation? Sarah, what are some ideas you have? Oh, one thing we've been working on for a long time with our kids is de- really developing a strong sense of who they are there in through a strong family identity. That's good. And thereby self-identity. And we've been building in them from the time they were little about who we are and what we do. Mm-hmm. So we're defining who they are not by all these things. Don't do this That's because really there's good. no way that we can ever cover all the don'ts. Right. 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 But we can clearly set up these clear values of what makes you a denizen. Right. And through through living out these values, through us practicing them, through rehearsing them over and yeah. over again about who you are and who you represent yeah. and what you do and and building structure inside of them about how to make choices that reinforce that, Mm -hmm. I feel like it's enabling them to be consistent even when we aren't standing next to them. Yeah, that's so good, Sarah. And I think that's even like an entire podcast topic for another day is just how to build a strong family identity. But that is that is your best weapon. And and for us, we've been really fortunate to raise our kids inside of a church that has a lot of families who are who have that same identity and who have similar values to us. And also inside of a school system, inside of a school context where most of the parents have taken that pledge to wait till the 8th and not not get s- smartphones and social media accounts. And that's been such a huge asset for us because our kids can't, and they have tried to come home and say, well, everybody else has a smartphone but me. And I can say, actually, I don't think that's true. <laughs> I know that a lot of the kids at the school don't have a, have a smartphone. And, and I'm grateful that that is our school system, that our school has made that choice. Our school has kids turn in their cell phones when they walk in the door. And I'm super grateful that my kids are being raised in an environment like that. But kids who who aren't, I mean, parents can advocate for that and parents can advocate and talk to each other because a lot of times I think parents make decisions based off of peer pressure really still um, of, well, I think everybody else is doing this and my child really wants it, but they you really have to have a strong family boundary and then to the best that you can acquire a strong community and a strong wherever you get that from where other people around them have those reinforced values. But if they don't, at least you can always go back to, that's not what denizens do. Denizens make choices like this. So that's really good. That's really good. Caitlin? Yeah, I think just setting some requirements for um, having access to the phone. Um, I was even, as Sarah was talking and you were talking, I was thinking about the fact that none of these kids actually pay for their phone. Right. Um, And so there shouldn't be this independence that goes along with it because they aren't actually the person that is responsible for it. You are. Um, And so, you know, at our school, we, the kids do turn the phones in and I'm so thankful for that because I can't imagine trying to compete for their attention in a classroom when you have a smartphone. Um, But I think even just when they get home, like having designated times where you turn your phone in um, or you don't take your room, uh, your phone to your room when you go to sleep, Um, just, you know, to not have um, the issue of sleep problems, like get get an alarm clock, an old fashioned alarm clock, something like that to just put some put some requirement along with having all of that access with your phone. Yeah. And I really think that goes back to if you start to put responsibility and boundaries on your kids when they're they're 13 and they get their first smartphone you are you're in trouble uh, yeah. you really have to have some expectations that kids will 
really to get a phone, a child should demonstrate responsibility. They should demonstrate, especially to get access to a phone that has internet capacity. They have to demonstrate uh, that they have have the capacity to stay within boundaries, which means ultimately at some point in their life, those boundaries should have been, they should have other boundaries. And so really when you're talking about keeping a 13 year old safe with a cell phone, you're really talking about ensuring your eight year old when you ask them to do something, you can trust that they will do that, that they can't have freedom unless you have trust. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I heard, this was a long time ago in a, uh, a book that we use to train our teachers. One of the authors told a story about he was running with his, with his kids and they were trying to run way out in front of them and he would say, stop. And they would stop. And that's how he knew, okay, they can run that far out in front of me. They can go that far because when I say stop, they stop. But if your child doesn't stop, when you say, stop and you're right there with them, then that is a whole other conversation. That means they can't have that freedom because you're actually putting them in jeopardy. If your child just runs and when you say stop, they don't listen and they just keep doing what they want to do. They don't know how to respond to appropriate boundaries. Then you, you don't have, you don't have trust. And so you can't really give freedom until you have a level of trust and and control really that that says as a parent here's the boundaries that I have to control on behalf of my child to ensure they're safe and if they don't respond to me and and, and I can't trust them to respond to me then I can't give them that freedom and that control and so you have to keep that as a parent and so there's really when we're talking about this we we really are talking about a lifelong pattern of setting and enforcing boundaries with your child consistently and so the the real time to prepare your child for cell phone use is not once you give them a cell phone but it's way in advance did you have something to add to that time just that the the mindset of um recognizing that they need to be self-controlled and principled and have that in them before because otherwise you just end up playing cat and mouse. Yeah. You can't you can't find yourself uh having to be prison warden. Right. Uh if if your child isn't capable of uh, submitting and being in that without you having to police them, then they don't need that device. Yeah. Because you're just going to make that relationship toxic. You're going to make them try and go around the boundaries you set around them. But when you know you can trust your child and you know that right. they can be responsible with that freedom, then they can be granted a privilege of something like that. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. That's great. And I think that's a that's really a great way to 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 wrap up this today's today's podcast um, because we are committed to just being a commute, a podcast you can hear on your way to and from school. So there's a lot that could be said about this conversation. And I think there's a lot of topics actually that were brought up that can be discovered more on a later day, but ultimately uh, responsible, safe cell phone use and, and internet use, keeping your child safe on the internet is really more about keeping your child, helping your child build that capacity to internally self-govern, demonstrate self-control and demonstrate responsibility. And that starts outside of the the cell phone, in a outside of when you give them a cell phone. Um, once you give them a cell phone, big things you can do is continue to uh, follow that pattern of lifelong boundaries for your kids. We do encourage you to look at Bark and Bark for Schools. We think that those are really great tools that parents can use. And wait, there's no rush for this. This is something that's pretty hard to put back. This is a jack that's really hard to put back in the box once it's out. And so there's no rush, no need to hurry and, and get a cell phone. We strongly encourage families to wait until the eighth grade and wait until your child has demonstrated that maturity to be responsible and to be trustworthy. So thanks again to everyone. Thank you, Kate. 
Caitlin. Thank you, Ty and Sarah, for, for coming and, and joining us today. Um, be sure and listen to us on your drive to work. Every week we'll release a new podcast during the school calendar. And so uh, if you'd like to, you can subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcast. But thanks for joining and we'll see you next week. This podcast is a production of Prism Education Center. You can subscribe to this podcast through any platform you access quality podcasts, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Find out more about Prism Education Center by visiting our website at www.prismeducationcenter.org.